HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible by you. HRN is a member-supported nonprofit, and our coverage is only possible thanks to your generous support. Learn more later in the show, or just go straight ahead to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview a woman who inspires me and who I believe will inspire all of you. Today, my guest is Julia Bainbridge, who I believe will inspire you enormously. She has some questions about that herself, which we might get into later. Um, I first met Julia when she was an intern at Food & Wine magazine. Julia, how long ago was that? 2007. Okay, wow, that's a bit ago. And she's had an incredible career ever since then, working at other great editorial brands like Bon Appetit and Yahoo Food, and most recently was the food editor at Atlanta Magazine. But the reason I've dragged her into the studio today is that I am completely and viscerally in love with her podcast, The Lonely Hour, and I'm also in awe of her next book project, which is about um, no alcohol cocktails, which has become strangely like a focus of interest of mine, strangely because... Um, Actually, when I was at Food and Wine, I drank almost not at all mm. because um, I have I'm such a lightweight. So like one glass of wine and I'm done. Uh-huh. And so like with advertisers or with you know my team, I just thought no alcohol would be a better way to go. Smart, smart, right? So Julia, welcome, welcome to Hi. S- speaking broadly. Hi, thanks for having me. So you're you've been on a bit of a journey, and these journeys are in so many different ways and directions, I would say. Like, the way I look at it from the outside, uh, in doing your book, you're on a journey across the country, which I want to hear about. And on your podcast, you're really on an internal journey. And I I think that um, those two things actually came together on the road for you, right? Because you're you're on the road, you're alone, you're writing, you're working, um, you're experiencing this incredible countries. So I wanted to just start with this idea of being a nomad because I've seen mm. your beautiful apartments published on person. Um, <laughs> but like you have such magnificent taste and such a sense of home and making a nest. What, what was it like to just pick yourself up, 
and go on the road. I feel like this was all very a kind way to say that I'm scattered, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is true. Um, you know, it's it's surprised me how much I took to life on the road. Um, as someone who loves to make a home, who loves to really settle into it and then invite people into my space to feed them, to frankly show it off a little bit, um, I really took to paring things down. I put all my belongings into storage in Maryland because I didn't know exactly where I was going to move after. And that is not only where I'm from, but it's in the middle of the East Coast. So whether I went north or south, <laughs> you <laughs> would be safe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had for that summer only the things that could fit in my 2006 Subaru Impreza. Um, and I just put my foot on the gas. And that was a way to do research for this book, which we can talk about. But it also was... I didn't know exactly where my next move was, and so I just drove. Okay. <laughs> I find that so hard to imagine for a, a grounded person. What was it like? You know, you get in the car, you put your bags in. Like, was there a farewell? Did you, you know, say goodbye with friends, or you just got in that car in the morning, and then where did you go? Knowing that you're sort of aimless. Yeah. Uh, well, I had like a plan for how I was going to do research. So I, I had a, you know, my, my map charted, my course charted rather. So there was a bit of an aim, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, I said goodbye to the friends I'd made in Atlanta, um, but there was no big goodbye party. Um, I was ready to move on, just not to where I wasn't sure. <laughs> so You could call it escaping maybe, <laughs> but I'm curious what that's like you know knowing that you don't want to be in one place but not knowing the place you do want to be yeah like what does that feel like I think I'm still there you're still there um it feels I feel unmoored um and sort of I mean I'm in search of that mooring and not exactly sure where to find it so you've um, you've come back to New York yeah where you live for a long that time that was a go at that yeah <laughs> this has been a go at finding mooring <laughs> And you've planted yourself here. Yeah. You've recreated your nest. You've pulled things out of Maryland. Yep. And you've sort of re-engaged in having people in. I know you love to entertain. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is it that makes a place home for you? Hmm. You know, it's, it's the people. Um, and so that's why I came to New York. I mean, this is a hard city, especially a hard city when... Um, I'm working on personal projects. I don't have a regular paycheck coming in, and I like made some sacrifices there to to come back to the place where my community is. That they just happen to be in this wild, expensive, tough place. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, go to Pittsburgh together. I know, right? Um, so I did. You know, the whole the journey of like boomeranging to Atlanta and back uh, with the road trip as part of that. Um, I think. The job at Atlanta Magazine kind of presented itself to me. And after 10 years in New York and a couple years right before I took that job of being freelance and enjoying doing things on my own, enjoying having carved out the space to create things like the podcast, um, did kind of miss being part of a team and shaping things together. Um, So I was interviewing for a few jobs in New York and then also that one in Atlanta. And it was really exciting to me, the idea to go to a city about which I had no preconceived notions, went there for the first time, those 24 hours of the first interview. And, um, but, you know, knew a little bit about its food scene through like Bill Addison, who had been the food editor there and some other people who I'd met like as part of this teeny tiny food community 
you and I are both part of this incestuous, perhaps, food community so, we're in part of. Bill Addison, who was probably at Eater at the time and now is at the LA Times. Yes, yes. Um, so this job presented itself to me. I thought, how exciting, you know, to run um, the food section of a magazine and, quite frankly, I think Atlanta Magazine is one of the best regional publications out there. On a first city magazine, I think, and second only to New York Magazine, to be honest. Um, and I loved my editors there. Um, it was it was all yeah. I, I moved just for the job, um, and I think after about six months there, once I'd gotten my bearings, once I had inserted myself into, you know, the food community there, once I had good rapport with my colleagues and had a, you know, finally a little bit of my day-to-day routine that felt normal, I realized, like, maybe I had treated this whole thing kind of casually. I really missed my friends who knew me deeply, like warts and all, you know, friends from college who were in New York. And, and maybe I had taken that community for granted. And um, that's ultimately what I came back for. And you found that the notion of recreating, like the notion of depth is what makes you feel connected to New York. Because Atlanta, obviously you made friends there. Wonderful. Yeah. And it totally opened its arms to me. And um, things are accessible in Atlanta in a way that they aren't in New York. Um, But yeah, I miss my people. And um, that's why I'm here. But it looks a little different than I thought. So tell me about that. Because you, you, what the listeners can't hear is the <laughs> see is the quizzical look on your face, like, <laughs> not resolved. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm very much in the middle of many things in my life. And as we've talked about a little, I was sort of trepidation. trepidation I had some trepidation about even coming on the show because you know, we're in service of a listenership. When we write stories, we're in service of the readership. And I want to be able to, like, come on and give some kind of nugget of wisdom. You know, I want to be through some kind of journey to be able to come away with it, with something I've learned I can share with you all. Um, But the truth is that I'm very much in the middle of all of it, and there are a lot of questions in the air. And so perhaps that is is the value of my being here, is being honest about that. I'd love to know the questions you're in the middle of. Like, what is it that you ask yourself that, in fact, are the open questions that, you know, you're leading yourself towards a life of fulfillment, Mm -hmm. trying to Mm -hmm. find that. And I wonder what the questions are that you ask yourself. Yeah. What, where do I want to live? Um, What do I want to do professionally? What do I want my relationship to alcohol to be? Um, Do I want partnership and how do I find that? And so all of those things. Oh, let's let's go let's go through those <laughs> one by one. Sure, <laughs> bird by bird. <laughs> um, I'd love to spend the entire thing trying to figure out what you should do next because I have this sideline where I help women figure out what they should hmm. do next. It's an hour and a half, and at the end of it, um, I can give you three different roads to go oh, down. Yes, and I really love doing it. I find it incredibly satisfying, like emotionally satisfying, and then satisfying for the person that I'm talking to because really. They go away, and then they, they follow usually one of the, the three paths, and it's a relief to have someone, like, just say, stop thinking about, like, these ten things. Think about this right. one thing. Well, we have, like, choice overload is paralyzing. Anything is possible today, right? Like, there were more limitations on things a couple generations ago, and while it's great that there are less in some ways, um, man, it can... St- it can be halting, you know. But you have, um, you have, um, you know, 
two paths that you're on. Um, they're related, of course, because they involve telling stories and um, telling them to people. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you might not want to continue? No, I, I always want to do that, but I just don't know how sustainable that is. And, you know, the landscape of our industry has changed. Um, and I just, I'm 36 now. I have different expectations for sort of the comfort level of my life. And uh, I'm a single income household. I like don't have any savings. I mean, I think, um, I think what happened on all of these journeys is that is something that happens at different ages for different people. For me, 35, I'm now 36, but 35 was the age where I realized that life is finite. Mm. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> part of that is, okay, so let's get really clear about what you want to do here, um, what makes you happy, but also what you want to contribute, um, but also how you're going to support yourself. And, like, productivity is next to godliness. I mean, that's an American thing, but I think especially in media today, it's just, like, produce, produce, produce. It's and, so, uh, it's I so true. I can't do that. I can't do that and be mm-hmm. consistently good. And so I think that's what I'm discovering about the way the industry is now, you know, um, if I if I were to be full-time freelance, you know, you have to kind of patchwork quilt together a salary um, from all the stories you write. And to, to really pay your rent in New York, that means a high number of stories per week. And that means that some of your reporting is going to be thin and some of your pieces aren't going to be good. And I have my name at this point after, I don't know, 15 some odd years in the industry, of course, attached to some mediocre content. And I'm like... I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I'm too old for that. <laughs> and I want to, I, I, some people can do that and just spit out excellent stuff all the time. I'm in awe of some of the people who do Me that. Me too. Amazing. Um, amazing. Uh, I cannot, I have to labor over my work and um, do way more research than is required, you know, cast a wide net and then start chipping away at it um, to feel like confident and comfortable that this is, this is a good piece when I hand it in. Um, that takes time and that means like not a lot of compensation for, for work being done. So I think what I'm discovering is that this becomes my side thing and that I find some other job uh, that pays the bills, not something that I hate, you know, like, I mean, I just, I don't know exactly what that is. I have worked with a couple career coaches, but they were a little like woo woo for my taste. Like I have a therapist <laughs> to talk about that stuff. I don't really need daily affirmations. Like I want, I want to, I want to list what I think my skills are. I want you to look at my resume and tell me about all the jobs that exist that I don't know about. And then I will see what's palatable and start, then please help me sort of reshape my resume to suit each of those. And then I will go hunt for one. And I think if it's, I, this may be too tall an order, but you know, if I can find a nine to six that I leave at work when I leave work, if that's possible in this day and age when we have computers attached to us all the time, um, that, you know, pays the bills and then I can make the podcast and write on the side and maybe write one thing every other month and make it good. Um, that's what I, that's what I think is the answer at this age. But, you know, I, I, I do hate that things are going the way they are. And there's part of me that wants to kind of agitate to, to change things for the younger writers getting into this for, you know, the sake of good reporting and good storytelling in general. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what, which way to go, but I think I've got to support myself first. I've so many thoughts on that. First of all, we should spend spend some time because I'll do the I'll do the list with you. Okay. Um, But 
this notion of being able to support yourself, I feel like there's this myth that's very dangerous Mm -hmm. about like everybody should be an entrepreneur. And I just, it seems like there comes a time in so many people's lives when they wake up and they're like, oh my God, but I'm not making any money. It's actually unsustainable Mm -hmm. what I've set up for myself, this dream and following the dream that everyone says, you know, just if you follow your passion, so your passion is writing, follow your passion and the money will come. And it's actually a, it's a fallacy. I think it's a really dangerous yeah. fallacy. I thought about that a lot, the finding, follow your passion thing. And, um, did you see the Wendell Berry piece in the New Yorker? There was a no. lot. He's, you, you should, everybody should. Okay. He talks about that and many other things, including, <clears throat> um, I felt encouraged to just like run for the hills and move to the country, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I've been thinking about a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the passion needs to be the side thing, and there's something else for the supporting thing. And and there will be, you know. Yeah. That is Maybe the, you can help me figure I, out what that is. I'm going to figure okay. it out. But we're not going to do it here with all of you listening. But um, but I did do a live version of, uh-huh. um, you know, helping someone through it, and that was also really great because the people who are listening had had ideas and also gave confidence to the mm. um to the person. So, um, another one of the questions you, you mentioned was what was your relationship with alcohol? And I had read, uh, a piece that you written that was beautiful that said that you were the, I think, sister, daughter, granddaughter mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And that was one line. And I felt like, Oh my God, there's a universe in that one line and you moved on from there but I wonder if you feel comfortable spending some time talking about your experience growing up where alcohol was an like a an issue yeah um where should I start at the beginning uh <laughs> I mean it my my mom is a like serious alcoholic Um, I'm trying to find like the best ways to talk about this stuff too because I'm conscious of like ultimately when I'm talking about this book right Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't have my story in it it is a celebration of all the delicious things there are to drink right now but I'm aware that when I'm talking to the media about the book ultimately they'll get into why I'm motivated to study this topic Um, and I want to be careful about terminology um, so even when I just said it's a serious alcoholic, I don't, I don't know that that's like quite sensitive enough or fair language. I, I'm still sort of a baby in this universe. Mm. And, um, I think, uh, yeah, I have a lot of like reading and preparation to do because while I've struggled with, um, substance abuse, I'm sort of, I don't know, two, three years into acknowledging that and facing it and going to meetings. And um, there are a lot of people out there with a lot more experience doing that. And so I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, want to be careful. So I guess we're, I'm going to retract the serious alcoholic statement. But maybe, but maybe another um, way to say it is to say that the, her relationship with alcohol had an effect on you. For sure. Um, and so- I mean, I kept her alive for years. You know, it was not, um, you know, at this point... And she knows, you know, I've talked about this stuff and, and um, we have a good relationship now. Um, but, but, but what it, does it mean it that you was, kept her alive? I mean, I did the grocery shopping and fed her. Um, she burned the kitchen down once and I dealt with the fire department. This was uh, pretty serious. You know, my parents had divorced at this time and my dad was, you know, aware of what was going on. In fact, that was part of the reason for the divorce. Um, and he wanted me to live with him full time, but so much had changed in my recent life, um, 
you know, now I'm split between two homes. I just wanted to keep things as normal as possible and keep on the schedule of being with mom some days and you some days. And at this point, you know, I have three older brothers. Two of them went to prep school and college. So they were kind of off and away. Um, And my brother Clayton was two years older. So um, when he was still at home before he went off to college, quite frankly, he was a bit in denial and partying a lot himself. And he's one of those people who struggled with substance abuse. Um, And then he was out of the house. And for those couple years, um, it was at its worst. Um, So yeah, I, I don't, I think it's affected me in ways I'm only acknowledging now. And I really, it was just kind of fight or flight mode and taking care of things. I mean, there were times when I came home from soccer practice and she'd fallen down the steps and was bleeding from the head and I took her to the emergency room. I mean, like, yeah, you know. So does that mean you missed a childhood? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd say like a lot of people who have parents who deal with this stuff, you could say I, you know, grew up quickly. Um, I think I kind of had a friendship with my parents uh, from a very young age, which like may not have been the healthiest thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was hard. And I, I think I'm only now even saying that it was hard. Um, I don't know if because I feel like that's some kind of betrayal of her is saying that. Um, but in some ways I have mothered her, um, even when she sort of came to me to apologize for all the things, um, she wasn't really facing like how bad things had gotten and was kind of skating on the surface. And even in that interaction, I had to kind of be tough and say, you know, thank you so much for coming to me, but until you're really ready to acknowledge all the stuff I can't we can't do this. Um, and she said, well, can I have a hug? And, and I gave her the hug and went upstairs and shut the door to the bathroom and cried, you know, but I didn't want to cry in front of her because I have You're a goal here, tough. which is her. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like help lead her to honesty and sobriety. Um, and, uh, and so you could argue in a way I was still mothering her even in that episode. Right. It must be so much for both of you to go through to, you know, together now because forgiveness is you know beautiful but it's also so complicated yeah no I don't know we've done that I don't know that we've done that like we we enjoy each other but I don't know that we've really dug deep to kind of really talk about what happened all those years um and I don't know if we will and I don't know actually how that important that is Hmm. Um, for us. But we'll see. It seems like the most important thing to you is holding on to the notion of honesty. Mm-hmm. Right? You're honest with her, becoming honest with yourself. It allows you an entire different sort of view ahead. Yeah. Right. And it was, was it in her family, the grandparents? No. No. So it's all around. <laughs> 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 I think, um, I think, my grandmother at Mountcastle, that's my uh, my mother's maiden name. I think she she did drink a little bit, but after the death of her son, and I don't think it was a chronic issue, um, and uh, that was reined in pretty quickly. So I kind of heard something about that, but that's pretty understandable, <laughs> and um, was just her way of grieving, and was, you know, less than a year. Um, it was my father's mother who was an alcoholic. Uh- you had posted on Instagram like a war hero of a relative. Yeah, and that's that's my father's mother. That's your yeah. father's mother. Yeah. So is that 
complicated also. You know, there's these heroes, Mm -hmm. but in these very complicated situations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the same, we've we've touched a little bit on this before in our conversations, but it's the same um, thing thinking about the history of my family and thinking about them being some of the shapers of this country and there are great accomplishments in that um, but there's a lot of dark history in our country so I think that's a complicated thing I'm reckoning with too that's another journey I'm on and have no answers to <laughs> aren't I great <laughs> you're just you're in that 2006 car you're just gonna keep uh, going yeah yep. I know and it sounds so like Forrest Gumpy and trite but I really just put my foot on the gas <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's just gonna good. run it's good you knew how to drive I do yeah and so you've had your own relationship with alcohol Mm -hmm. um you called it abuse I'm just wondering is that something that you fell into as you're taking care of your mother and struggling with that or you know later in college when you're sort of free of the pressure of like performing the mother role and you're like I get to relax and this is my relaxation and then it sort of went farther yeah good question I think so one thing I've learned since, so I may have misstated um, it. I want to say substance use disorder instead of substance abuse. Okay. I personally don't have a problem with that, but I've I've learned through um, being schooled by some people who have been talking about this stuff longer than I have that that's the preferred term. To okay. Um, so, hey, you know, yes, I was taking care of my mother, but also in the in the t- I had a social life and was and and we were naughty, <laughs> and I we partied a lot, and you know it was sort of shocking to me getting to college and and hearing that some people like didn't binge drink and party in the way that we did, which then continued through college. Um, so yeah, drinking was always a part of socializing growing up, um, and drinking to the point of inebriation. Um, but I think there was some point in my mid twenties when everybody else kind of started to peel off and, and perhaps I did in two in some cases, but what ultimately became my problem drinking was drinking alone. Like I don't get like wasted in front of people, but it is a kind of escape. It is sort of like I come home, I shut the door, all masks are off and I am, it's a relief to just, you know, not only have this prop that signals this is the end of the day and there's, you know, no more pressures on you, but but to feel that kind of warmth and to feel whatever um, demons kind of fall away, even though this is my the demon of my life, you know, other things um, like battles with self-worth and confidence and all that kind of stuff just fade away when you're in that third glass. Um, but it's hard when you're in that third glass not to go to the fourth and, you know. So, so yeah, I think um, in part, geographical move was a sh- tr- uh, an attempt at shaking that off, and it turns out your demons it comes with you. Go wherever There's you are. Stitched to your heel, <laughs> it's yeah. like a shadow. It does yeah. not. It doesn't stay and rest in place. Yep. Yeah, in the yep. bathtub of your old apartment. I know that for sure now. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you say that you have a complex relationship with alcohol, which is to say, you're choosing the way you want to deal with it. Which, and I was wondering what that means. To I guess, you. like right now, it needs to not be in my life. Um, I am a better person all around. I'm a better friend, um, a better daughter and sister and all all the things, auntie, um, and better to myself 
when I'm not drinking. So in, I, I guess like there is some hope that down the line I will be able to, as somebody who is a is food and drink interested and finds that that is a great pleasure in life, I guess I'm hopeful um, that at some point down the road I will be able to um, enjoy those things in a healthy way. But right now I can't. Um, we'll see. Some may, some people may call that delusional or like that I'm in denial. You know, I mean, like people have all different thoughts about it, but I guess, um, the way that my substance abuse issues have, um, substance abuse disorder, gosh, um, has presented itself does give me hope. Like, uh, you know, I don't go from zero to 60 every time. Um, that doesn't mean it's not an issue and that doesn't mean, I'm I'm not addicted. I don't know if I am. I don't know if I'm not. I don't know if that's important. You know, the what what's important is that that um, alcohol inf- affects my life negatively in a way that I have decided I need to remove it. Um, and removing it has been difficult. Sticking to that has been difficult because part of doing that is is relapse. Part of doing that is slipping up. Uh, and part of it, I think, it's bumpy. It, it sounds like also that it's been relaxing for you I mean as much as when it goes too far it's not relaxing yeah but to find the path to relaxation right is probably the search yeah and there's there are other options but you it's looking for a substitute is no better than the original I imagine yeah and you need help doing that I mean I think once you acknowledge it's a problem you take a look at what purpose it was serving, and you, I have needed help figuring out um, what other things I can put in its place. Um, Gardening. Sure. <laughs> or like, you know, I mean, something as small as a little ritual I have with some essential oils, you know, before I go to bed. Or um, in a way, like the drinks that are in the book, like there's a ritual around creating those. Um, and it's fun. And you're, you, you have to cook to make a lot of these things. And, um, there is labor involved. And I think that 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 anoints these drinks to a certain level. Um, the, the drinks that it sounded like you are investigating. So shrubs and the vinegar, drinking vinegars sure. and mm-hmm. there, it's a beautiful, really varied world it It, is yeah and so in terms of flavor it seems like a such a exciting place to go yeah it's as broad as as cooking is right like building good non-alcoholic drinks is is about having a stocked pantry not a stocked bar right I mean and, and that might change as more you know as we talked about before like there's a lot of attention around this this subject serendipitously there's never been a better time to be a non-drinker you know um but as that um conversation continues on and as more people make products um of course there are a lot of teas there are kombuchas and things but I think the space in the market is for kind of adults not alcoholic drinks um and some people are are you know making those. I think there's a lot of room for more. So perhaps as more kind of open and poor products come onto the market that fit that sort of happy hour, you know, um, point of the day, uh, there won't be so much labor involved in making these drinks. But for right now, there is. Like if you want to build something that's complex and has bitterness and, you know, has layers, like you, you've got to put in some work. Like that's what the maker of a whiskey does. You know, like if that's one component of a cocktail, that thing has been labored over by an expert who's, you know, aging it in barrels and, you know, whatnot. So if you want to um, get to maybe not the same level of complexity, but a level of complexity, you have to uh, 
We do a little stewing. That's such a brilliant point, and it had never occurred to me. With that thought, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back for more on um, non no alcohol. Do you call them no alcohol cocktails and the lonely hour? This episode is brought to you by you. This is HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and I want to personally acknowledge you. Our entire 10-year history of groundbreaking food and beverage audio journalism has only been possible because of listeners like you. You usually hear from our incredibly supportive network of business partners during these show breaks, but this week, we're taking a moment to thank the thousands of individual donors who've been part of our family since the very start. You listen to HRN because you care not only about what's on your plate and in your glass, but how it got there and the stories of all the people, plants, and animals that contribute to the food supply chain. So please, this week, take a moment to show us what independent food radio means to you and become a member of HRN. Help us deliver another 10 years of storytelling that will shape the world during a critical time for politics, innovation, food ethics, and the planet. With your help, we can change the world and our food system one soundbite at a time. There's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. That's heritageradionetwork.org donate. From all of us at Heritage Radio Network, we thank you for your vision and generosity from the bottom of our hearts. Welcome back. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Today, my guest is Julia Bainbridge, and we've been talking about, boy, a whole host of subjects. We have been speaking broadly. We have been speaking very, (laughs) very broadly. We've taken journeys together. (laughs) We've talked about, um, you know, what to do with your time, um, travels, and trying to find great drinks all across the country. So when you were traveling, you actually were, in addition to spending time in your own head, you were finding amazing drinks. I was. So was there any surprise in, like, you found amazing drinks in, you know, Cleveland? Well, actually, Cleveland has a great food scene. But were there any surprises along the way where there were hidden pockets of great uh, non-alcohol drink makers? Bloomington, Indiana. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I thought the capital of that state would be like the place to go. And I think that is the the um, the case with food. But there's a real drink scene happening out out in Bloomington um, and and some really thoughtful non-alcoholic drinks along with that, like even at um, Cardinal Spirits, which is a distillery serves like tea based tea and juice and, you know, some shrubs and things like that. At a distillery, you know, it was really that's interesting, surprising, yeah. and interesting. Yeah. So, in that in that time in the car, you spent a lot of time alone, and of course, you have um, the podcast that I love so much, The Lonely Hour. You really have to um, check it out. You've had three seasons, yeah, and the seasons are. Um, I don't know the people that you find to interview are so compelling, and it's narrative it's a narrative podcast rather than an interview format mm-hmm. like this is. And the narrative is just so 
strong and moving. Thank you. Um, I labor over finding those guests. And I think like, you know, I probably pre-interview three times as many people as end up on the show. And so it starts with um, putting feelers out there um, and then having some chats via email. And then the final thing is to get on the phone for about half an hour to hear not only how that person articulates his or her story, but also the quality of his or her voice, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we go with recording. Um, but yeah, it, it did change format. It started out kind of more as an interview format, although I did remove my voice from asking a lot of the questions um, because it's important to me that each guest kind of own an episode or a topic and I felt that my voice coming in would be kind of jarring so I would just have some space or put some music in to carry you from one point to the next um and it started that each episode was focused around a topic obviously a topic within a topic right so loneliness and motherhood or solo travel I started with solo travel because it was a triumphant episode and I was very conscious of you know the title making this <laughs> making it all sound like a big bummer but it's really not there's a lot of joy in this show and I like it's also about the joys of solitude and sort of all corners of aloneness I wanted to put lonely in the title because that is uh, the thing around which there's this taboo and that we're uncomfortable with so that's why also it's my favorite Sarah Vaughn song of all time in the <laughs> hours so um, it was not a Sam Smith reference. It was way further back. But um, Good to know, because yeah, yeah. I was worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it changed in format to season two to become a narrative-driven show, and I'm, and I'm really happy with that. And actually, I have some new material. I guess there is something for me to plug on this. I have some, uh, I have some new material uh, coming out this, um, the last week of this month. But it's kind of a mini-series. It fits under the umbrella of The Lonely Hour, but it's kind of a different project. And what's this project? It's called um, Inner Inner Life, Inner Lives. I forget what I ended up calling it, but some, something around that. Um, and I guess uh, they're really like 10-minute episodes, um, pretty dense uh, and, and a little sonically bold. Uh, I've, I'm experimenting with What does um, that mean? It's like, um, okay, so there are all these columns out there about life hacking and optimization and sort of uh, how how do uh, particularly successful people manage their email inboxes and their commutes and their relationships with their colleagues and friends and all this stuff and of course me being me I thought well what about what about our relationships with ourselves right and what about the maintenance of our inner lives when especially in this day and age it's so hard to get that time um, and there serendip like this had been sort of knocking around in my brain for a while and then uh, for books uh came across my radar, some of which because some of which were published recently, but for whatever reason, they all um, presented themselves to me around the same time. Um, and so they were four books sort of related to the topic. So this, so there, there, it's only four episodes. Um, each guest is an author and, um, and we spend a little time talking about their work, but then we go into their inner lives with them. And that is, that is where we get a little weird with sound because we're meant to be sort of going into those moments with them. So some sound effects and uh, things I haven't played with before. So That sounds like a lot of fun. And that sounds like t- making the most of audio, right? Because yeah. you can make people feel things through the sound and the way that you move people through. I mean, totally. I, f- I find the narrative drive in the way that you've constructed the, um, the pieces is so powerful because there's so much withheld, right? There's so much surprise that comes yeah. and there's so much interest that builds. And I think that's what... That's what makes it so great. And you do not hit people on the head with the lonely part. Like you're telling the story and you discover the loneliness sort mm-hmm. of 
in the center of it, which I think is a beautiful way to approach it as a topic. It's not like, so you're lonely. Like, why is that? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, I do that really intentionally. I'm I'm sort of cataloging people's experiences with this so that we all, you know, I don't, Uh, this is another thing I'm lucky that I came to this topic when it seems like the conversation around it is growing and, and um, there was, you know, reports of this loneliness epidemic uh, that came around, I think came out maybe as season two was in, in, in the middle of season two. And so a lot of people, one came to me as like a loneliness expert and I said, I'm really not like, (laughs) I haven't been studying this. There are loneliness experts who are, who are, you know, cognitive neuroscientists. uh, But um, I also, you know, the other question is like, what are seven ways to combat loneliness? And I'm like, loneliness is part of the human condition. Like this is part of the mixed bag of feelings we all have. And so I don't deny that um, perhaps like people's sense of isolation is growing because of, of changes in our in culture and um, technology and all the rest of it. And some of that stuff was the motivation for exploring this topic, but um, really it's about uh, cataloging people's experiences with it so that we get more comfortable with it because it is just part of what living is. And there are beautiful stories in, in each of these episodes. And um, I think people yeah. also find power in, in loneliness, right? There's mm-hmm. such a, a feeling that, a, a negative feeling around the word. Mm-hmm. And I think you're trying to revise that in some ways. It's not always negative to be lonely. Sometimes like that feeling of being of aloneness mm-hmm. um, is incredibly productive. Yeah, and, I do think there's a distinction there. Like I would say alone, you know, aloneness is a state and there there isn't sort of a connotation there but loneliness is a sad feeling over that state I do you know and and then there's um solitude which has like a more positive oh bent. solitude I was um, trying to say oh that's so interesting okay yeah but but yeah so where do you <laughs> fall on the solitude loneliness and um aloneness spectrum like when you're traveling were you feeling alone or when you're in Atlanta and it's not your people and your place like is it a sense of being alone or lonely that actually motivates you to move and change your place in the world? Hmm. I don't know if I have an answer to that yet. I think I, you know, I feel all those things simultaneously all the time, (laughs) you know, like I'm so, I've always uh, luckily been sort of relatively popular in that. Like I've, I've had, I've been lucky to make friends easily. And um, at this point in my life, some of the, especially women who are in my life have, have been there for decades. And we are just really tight. Even those women who have, you know, children and husbands and other things vying for their time, like we really drop, we are thick, you know. Um, so I feel very privileged to have that because I realize that not everybody does. Um, and yet, yeah, I mean, there's part of me that's like really a social butterfly uh, and, um, and has always felt supported by her friends, but there's part of me that's kind of a loner too. Um, and I, yeah, I think I'm getting more comfortable with that. I think, um, I think that, I think I'm seeing more clearly without alcohol that that's the case for me. And that like the, the sort of lush Julia, the, the Julia who drank a lot, even though the problem drinking was when I was alone, there was still a lot of alcohol involved in you know, sort of flirting with my community and being out and about. And, um, and I like, I don't know that I'm really that girl anymore. I'm kind of appreciating paring my social life down a little, spending it with those people who, with whom I have deeper friendships. Um, and also with myself to kind of 
ruminate over all these things, that, <laughs> these journeys that I'm on. I, I don't know if I answered I, your I, question. I sort no, of went did. off course, I, but... Um, no, it's a wonderful answer. I, I wonder whether you mentioned self-confidence as a battle and self-worth as a battle. And I wonder whether in the loneliest part or the, the part of solitude is where that solution lies. Mm. You know, that in, in solitude, you feel most at home with yourself. And, yeah, and, I think you're right. And then reaching outside of that to find the worth when you're not alone is this this little battle yeah. that needs to be resolved. It's funny. I thought, like, for me, age and confidence, there's there's an inverse relationship there. And everything I read when I, I was, like, balls out in my 20s. Like, I'm so sorry. Excuse me for the language. But, I mean, I was very... Uh, confident and um, maybe, maybe as we all feel like we know everything when we're younger but um, I remember reading you know a profile of Jennifer Aniston in L or something like that and, her, and and looking forward to being in my 30s and 40s because she said I'm just so much more comfortable in my skin and you know I have had long enough in my professional life where I feel like I have some real expertise and just that she's come into her own and is confident and I thought the complete opposite has happened for me I feel like at 36, I am so befuddled, yeah, by all the issues I face currently and sort of like where, where my place is in our industry, where is my value, what story should I be telling, what, you know, all that stuff I'm, I'm sort of like lost my grasp of a little bit. Part well, of that is because our industry's changed and it's been rattling for a lot of people. But It's, it is very rattling, but I... I, I would flip it maybe, you know, mm. um, you've perhaps lost your grasp, but the reverse, which is a more active thing is really what you're doing, which is you're grasping. You're like, you're reaching out, mm-hmm. you're reaching into yourself. And by doing those two things, you actually are going to, you know, make so much more progress than you could have even imagined in your twenties. Cause you weren't asking the questions. Right. And it was all sort of blind. And what you set yourself up for like right now, going through these questions and really examining them deeply as opposed to like, whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, like the path is so much more, the path is so much more peaceful. You are good at this. <laughs> but we haven't, but we will talk about um, another time. Though. Yeah. So, um, okay, this is the, the really light part. Teach me something. What are you going to teach me? Oh, gosh. You know what you could actually teach me that I'm terrible at, and it's so embarrassing, but you're really good at it? You can teach me how to put on lipstick without, like, having it, like, all the corners mess up. Like, I actually am terrible at putting on lipstick. And for those of you listening, like, Julia's not wearing lipstick now, but she's had a life of, like, (laughs) bright red lipstick, bright orange lipstick. There was bright pink in there sometimes. Mm. But I literally, and my grandmother and my mother, they would sit at, like, my strongest memory of my grandmother and mother at the end of a meal they pull out the compact they pull out the lipstick and they put the lipstick on and I just have never been a lipstick person oh, and I put it on without a mirror I can't you have I, to keep that tip sharp because without a mirror you just feel that the tip is drawing the line of your oh, lip is that it that's it and but, also like I, I am also the lipstick whisperer if you do, do you like lipstick do you I'm not so wear? happy to play Okay. <laughs> I'll just say, you know, if I could teach you something is sort of like anybody who doesn't feel like they can wear a certain lipstick or wear a certain coat or dress, it's really like the trick is just 
doing it to just put it on and walk out the door you know and then sort of people will believe you and you'll end up believing you I've like I was telling you a story earlier about when I used to work at the Connie Nast building which you know was in Times Square right next to a Sephora and that was my thing when I got stressed I would go on a little walk and usually put on some <laughs> lipstick or maybe buy one and I would notice you know women in there maybe trying on a bold color and looking uneasy and I'd come over and say no yeah that looks great and I'd say well I don't know. I mean, thank you, but I don't think I could pull it off. And I said, you know, you, you can just put it on and walk out. And that's, that's it. That's it. Well, <laughs> for, for me, I don't, I, I'm really happy to go bold, but I just, you know, I have the little mess in the corner, uh, corners mm. of my mouth. And my daughter's like, mom, you know, like, with the, like <laughs> your lips. I'm like, what? Like, what's wrong? Take out a mirror. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I guess I need lipstick that has points in it. Follow the point. Um, and then the last question I always want to pay it forward and embrace more women in this industry who deserve to be better known. And I wonder who you might suggest for paying it forward. There are a lot of them. The one that comes to mind um, on the spot is someone who is is on the up now, is getting recognition. But I'm, I'm you know, I think she deserves more and only will we'll get more as more people are clued into her talents. But Osai Endelin um, is wonderful. And I think people know of her as a wonderful editor and certainly of a, um, you know, she has a strong voice on Twitter and I think is like an agitator for um, diversity in our, in our industry in a really sharp way. Um, but her writing itself is so beautiful. And um, you could find her writing at... All over the place. I mean, she writes at Gravy. She writes at the Oxford American. Um, she has a column called Counter Service, I think that's what it's called. But she she has a way of, she does something really, which is really difficult, which is she inserts herself into the pieces without it being about her. Um, and she's sort of a stand-in for all of us. Or she, you know, she, it, it serves a real purpose and it's not indul- self-indulgent. Um, it's a, it is a, it is a class. Her writing is a class in that. Yeah. So, now you know you have to listen to the Lonely Hour. You have to, uh, well, Julia's book is a ways off. Do you have a title yet? <laughs> I'm not revealing it. It's sort okay. of like a child. You know, people will have all sorts of opinions about it. So. <laughs> okay. That's right. No gender or title reveal here. Um, but look for Julia Bainbridge's uh, No Alcohol Cocktail book that's coming in fall 2020. Yeah. And where can people find you on social? At Julia Bainbridge on Instagram and Twitter. And look out for the Inner Life series, which is just going to be in two weeks now, I think. Yeah. I'm very excited to hear that. Thank you all for listening. And you, you know where to find me at Speaking Broadly. Um, thanks for joining joining us today. Thank you, Nina, for your help always. My, we have a guest in the studio today, Mary Ellen Ward. We're glad to have you with us. And Amanda, thank you for your help today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you do, go um, download and listen to some other ones. They're anywhere podcasts are found. And um, just subscribe and hear more incredible interviews. Well, the women are incredible. It's up to you if you think the interviews are incredible. Um, Listen on for inspiration. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.